Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU, and right now, Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And to talk about this movie, we have a special guest on the podcast. She is the co-writer of the story of Marvel Studios, the making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as the upcoming The Art of Avatar, The Way of Water, both, I believe, from Abrams Books. Ladies and gentlemen, Tara Bennett, welcome. Hey, hey. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. I so appreciate it. So excited to have you here. And I'm just going to give, before we uh, talk to you a little bit about the book, as well as the movie, a spoiler warning here. I assume most people listening to this have probably already checked out Spider-Man Homecoming. If you haven't, spoilers, we're definitely going to get into them. We're going to talk about it. So go watch the movie. And just a little basis there. It was released July 7th, 2017, directed by John Watts, written by Jonathan Gold. John Francis Daly, John Watts, Christopher Ford, Chris McKenna, and Eric Summers, a veritable dude squad of dudes. Yeah, a lot of Johns and Chris's in there. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So that's the basis for the movie. But Tara, I want to take a step back and talk about this book. You did, uh, I think, the first definitive edition that sort of walked people through the Infinity Saga. You had a forward by Kevin Feige and afterward by Robert Downey Jr. So you know it's legit. Uh, Talk (laughs) us through the making of the book. What was involved in getting all of those elements together? Yeah. um, Well, uh, Paul Terry and I, who who co-wrote it, uh, we have worked in licensed writing for a very long time. Um, and I, at that point had written about 20 official books, maybe 25. I, I can't remember my life's wow. blur. Um, but it's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a kid who used to love, uh, my Starlog magazine and had bookshelves full of, you know, making of books and stuff. Um, that was just, you know, something that I've always loved. And so that I was really lucky to be able to, to get into writing companion books myself. And, uh, you know, it, done a lot of different projects and I kind of feel like Paul and I always say it was, uh, everything that we did was building up to the level of what it (laughs) took to make the Marvel studios book. Um, you know, at that point, uh, they were, it was, they were talking, um, Marvel studios was talking about doing a tenure book. Um, and, uh, that's initially what we came on for and, you know, went to Marvel studios and, you know, um, pitched them, uh, you know, what we thought, uh, the book should look like and, and, uh, what it should encompass. And, um, uh, it was very funny. We went in for a meeting with everyone and, uh, our book on the making of big trouble in little China had just um, been announced the day before. And so they like, was like, Oh, that's perfect timing <laughs> that we can do a legacy project, um, and kind of show what we, what we can do. And, uh, and they, they obviously have a, a really deep affinity for that, for that movie and for, um, for John Carpenter. And so we, uh, yeah, we got the job and we, uh, got an office at Marvel studios and, um, wow. everything wow. was sanctioned by them. Um, in terms of they wanted to tell their story, you know, I don't think anybody that hasn't been involved in enjoying, uh, you know, with the Marvel cinematic universe, but they don't know that Kevin Feige and everybody in the, um, the higher echelons of ex- executive producing, there are big movie nerds, you know, they just adore it. It's, it's what shaped them as people and as creatives. And, um, they, you know, have Rinsler books, uh, you know, for the Star Wars movies. And they, um, you know, have the Ralph McQuarrie book uh, that's a lap breaker. And, you know, those are all on themselves. <laughs> and, and they love that, you know, that's how they learned to a certain degree uh, when they were kids and teenagers and in college. Um, when they wanted to do a deep dive on something that meant something to them, that's how they, they, they would find how it was made and what those stories were. And so they wanted to do that themselves. And so, um, you know, you know how this business is, uh, sometimes, uh, these books can be, you know, very, uh, you know, PR and, um, we weren't interested in doing that and they weren't either. And that was really nice that we, you know, did 
a ton. Oh my gosh, at this point, I mean, more than a, a hundred interviews for it. We just wow. literally wow. had an office and we pulled people Kept in. Calling people in. <laughs> it, hey, was, come here. Literally it. it was, it was the craziest thing. You know, we, they, they cycled through on the floor at Marvel studios with, um, the people coming in to make movies and John Watts, you know, literally was in there for, That's for, awesome. uh, oh, wow. for the Did you have movie. like a, a glass to the door? Uh, the Let's office was kind of like listed there. <laughs> what are you doing? Spoilies. No, honestly, the nice thing was, is that, uh, and we're, you know, to this day are entirely grateful for it. Uh, we of course signed the NDAs out the wazoo, but um, we were allowed wherever and we uh were privy to a tons of things um that no one knew about I mean, we were on we were on set for the the day of an end game um with uh i will if there's spoilers out there the, the day that that was very important to tony stark and and the uh oh, you can spoil journey. whatever it, it's fine yeah, yeah, there's we, no. were there, we were there for what you know they call the wedding which was you know his funeral so mm-hmm. like when you yeah. watch that scene and there's the cabin where the two dorks standing right to the side that you see oh, off camera, that's you awesome. see off camera watching that going how the hell did this happen? You know? So it was, it was really amazing. And the access that they gave us was um, unparalleled and we were deeply appreciative of it. And they, um, you know, we trust them that they were being very honest about the process and they were trustful, trusting us uh, about telling us what their process was. And it was um, just a, basically a four year uh, um, odyssey wow. of, so of turning all of that into it and then expanding past 10 year and making it um the infinity saga so it, it expanded all the way through to um the last spider-man movie and the the marvel movie story is not just like a shifting ip between mediums it's dramatic like there are such low points in that story and high yeah. points it's a wild uh, ride. I imagine there's a lot of emotion when they were they were talking to you about it. Very much, you know. They um they and they let us put those things in the book. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people and and we get it. Like we take we we are um, very circumspect about the book projects that we want to do because there's a lot of things that are just like, hey, take some EPK interviews and go turn a book in, and that's like that's not what we're interested <laughs> in doing. Um, and you know, we um we sat there just like any journalist and asked them questions about like, well, why did this happen? And they were very honest uh, about, you know, what things happened. Uh, We were able to put it in the book. Um, You know, they are a company that very much believes in long relationships. And, you know, any interview that you read with Kevin Feige is him. He's not, you know, burning down the house and walking away and cackling, you know, over relationships or movies (laughs) that didn't work well. So they're very, you know, they're very gracious and um, uh, they are self-assessing. And a lot of what we talked about was, you know, if they weren't going to talk about, um, you know, the nitty gritty of a relationship that wasn't super wonderful, they talked about what did they learn from it, you know, and then how it, it moved and, and it impacted what they did afterwards. And like, as filmmakers that want to be in the business of making film films with the, the best talent that's out there across the board, below the line and all of the actors that, you know, they basically can cherry pick uh, <laughs> and, and choose to, to bring into the MCU, um, you know, they, they were honest and they were forthcoming and they really wanted people to know like, Hey, this, this is that we were an independent film studio that technically would not exist if Iron Man and the Hulk tanked. Like that was, yeah. if, if both of those yeah. were like non-starters, there would be no MCU and that every movie that kind of had the claw to figure out like, okay, well, we made the money we had to make to pay off the big debt that we kind of accumulated to that, you know, we have to make money to like pay for the next one. And it was only really kind of in phase two where they were like, Hey, this is working. And, and, you know, (laughs) really not um, feeling quite as scrappy, but still creatively feeling like, Hey, we don't want to just do the same stuff over and over again, which I think is what is one of the more interesting things about watching and looking at the first three phases is, um, the you know kind of swings that they took the things that um sequel wise didn't work for them and then what did work for them and then certainly looking for talent that was not expected um and then how that infused um new directions and new um energy into uh the characters and the movies especially as it got deeper into phase three which is you know um basically kind of where we're talking about well let's turn to that then because you mentioned odyssey and getting spider-man 
into the MCU, certainly from the outside, seems like an odyssey in and of itself. We talked about this a little bit, about how there was some talk about maybe throwing him into the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, and that didn't quite work out. Mm -hmm. And then finally, they did get him into Civil War as the introduction. We got to see Tom Holland. Very exciting. Under Um, ruse. Under ruse. There you go. (laughs) Uh, But this is the first movie with Tom Holland as Spider-Man in the MCU. It's a big departure from the Spider-Man movies that we got before with Tobey Maguire, with Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. Forgetting about the book just for a second, Tara, what was it like for you as a fan of this stuff to see Spider-Man Homecoming for the first time? Yeah, I really love Tom. You know, like when I when they introduced him um, in Civil War, I felt like you know, there's this, I, I, you know, I, I, I've seen all the Spider-Mans, you know, so it's, uh, I had a, a, an appreciation for what it, all of the actors did, but I felt like for the very first time I was seeing an age appropriate yeah. and a tone appropriate <laughs> um, yeah. Peter Parker. I felt like, oh man, like Tom just is absolutely in the sweet spot of a kid who, um, you know, is especially when he's doing that that tarmac battle and looking at his heroes and is part of the battle. And it's just he's like absolutely perfect uh, in tone for being a huge stand for all of these guys that he's being asked to. to, to and then also having um, a prowess, you know, with with what he can do. He's not perfect yet. He certainly um, is learning what his um, limitations are. But there's this kind of joy uh, that in that first performance that Tom, I just loved it. And then I was made me really excited to see what was that going to look like all by itself in a movie. And then so walking in and uh, it just felt like, you know, it's been said over and over again, but of my generation, um, you know, John Hughes movies were, were huge. It felt like they really knew the right tone. Mm-hmm. to yeah. be able to have a high school movie with an age appropriate and tone appropriate Peter Parker that absolutely worked. And it was just like, it was joy watching him yeah. absolutely kind of redefine that character in a way that I, I felt like I hadn't ever quite seen. And I wasn't sure it could go off the rails so, so quickly with like someone playing it more sardonic or playing it with like a chip on his shoulder or more attitude. There's just this like kind of wonder that Tom brought to it that I just, I loved. Oh, it was, I feel kinda, like with, it was kind of weird not having a 35 year old play a high school student. I was like, <laughs> Oh, well, wait, is this really, I know it's been yeah. a while since I've been in high school, but uh, you know, yeah. yeah. But, well, I you went to, like you went the, to a high the, school the, on the TV show Riverdale, right? Pete? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like a television show. show with ancient people playing high schoolers is like, yeah, we all know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. like, oh, oh, these actually feel like kids. Yeah. <laughs> this it was so looks great. like actual high school. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. it's amazing the progression though, because like I feel like in the original trilogy we were like, this is awesome. Maybe not the third one, but it was yes. like Tobey Maguire <laughs> is a great Spider-Man. And then when um, Andrew Garfield took over, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Because Tobey Maguire, not great at being quippy. I don't remember Cider House Rules, him throwing around a lot of one-liners. Um, oh, come on, dude. That's a completely different topic. And Andrew Garfield was like, oh, look, it's like a little more like uh, emo. We're getting into some deeper emotions. There's a little more darkness here. And then we saw Tom Holland. We were like, oh, yes. Oh, this is actually it. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking with uh, old uh, hurt, hurt back Toby Maguire trying to swing around <laughs> uh, some web slings. Well, I'll throw out there one of the big things that struck me watching it again this time through before the podcast, and this is something I've thought about before, but even beyond the Tom Holland of it all, something that I really like about this movie is the level of stakes of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it varies from movie to movie in terms of how they're hitting it with the Spider-Man movies. But I feel like there is no better encapsulation of the level of stakes for a Spider-Man movie that it ends with him having a fight with his girlfriend's father on the beach. Like that, that's the maximum. <laughs> yeah, you should never be trying to save the entire universe or save the world, even though I like no way home, but I like the two other movies. But these world-ending stakes they put in the two other movies, in my mind, don't match up to like the core of Spider-Man, which is him trying to do the right thing in a incredibly tough situation where he's going to lose no matter what. And to me, that's what they nail there. Tom Holland nails it in a certain way, but and certainly the John Hughes tune, tone as well. But every time I watch this movie, that's my big takeaway is 
they actually made a Spider-Man movie that feels like Spider-Man. Well, I mean, technically, you know, it ends with uh, Aunt May uh, almost swearing, but, you know, I agree with uh, what you were saying. <laughs> sure, that is the comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, and also, like, the other thing that I couldn't believe how hard it hit is the surprise twist in the middle, which yeah. is not very Spider-Man-y, but it's just amazing writing and movie making where, like, I just remember being just like full body, like slow-mo knocked back in my seat of them like being like, I can't believe it's him at the opening the door. It's just like, what a great trick they pulled out. Well, and the reason that works, there's always a lot of discussion about twists and what you can do about twists. But in case you've forgotten what's going on in the movie, this is the vulture twist that happens. So Michael Keaton is the vulture. He's running a crew. We get to see him with his crew who's stealing alien technology left over from the Battle of New York. So there's a great tie in there. At the same time, Peter is trying to romance Liz Allen, this other nerd that he's on the uh, quiz team. Mathletes. Mathletes. There you go. Uh, So he's on the team with her and ultimately he is taking her to the homecoming of the title and it Mm. gets revealed that Michael Keaton's vulture Adrian Toomes is actually her father. And the thing that I love about that twist that works so well of it is not just the way they pace it out. They have a bunch of poppy, very like 80s music playing beforehand. It's very exciting and fun. You're like, great, everything's working out for Peter. And then they completely cut out the sound when Michael Keaton opens up the door and it just lets the ambient noise of him like cutting up things with a knife, uh, just play on the emotions. Uh, It's so so tense. So stressful. But throughout the movie, the entire time, Adrian Tubes is talking about his family and he's talking about how he has to get back to his family. And like, you don't really put two and two together until that moment. And that's why it works because it's not out of nowhere. It's completely built up and completely logical throughout the movie. I was surprised on rewatching how much time in this movie is dedicated to the villain. Like we oh, really yeah. ride, we ride with him from the jump. He's the first character we hang out with. And so it works on both sides of that. But more importantly for Spidey, like it's his, he's already sort of lost in the movie. He's like gone back to normal life. He's like, I fucked yeah. all that up. And this is terrifying for us because it's such a scare for him, but it's also his only way to win. In the end, yeah. too. So it works as like a sort of a, a double, a turn backwards emotionally for him. But also this is his shot to prove that he's a hero. And it's just it's a, such a perfect little snare trap on so many different ways. It's it's so well done. Plus, it, you know, it's one of those things that's great about Spider-Man is like things are just harder for him. You know what I mean? Like he <laughs> struggles with stuff. It's not just, oh, crap. I have to meet the father of the uh, nice young lady I'm taking to prom. And that's already scary. And it's like, oh, hi, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, You know, but it's uh, the vulture on top of that. And it's not just it's Michael F. and Keaton, you know, so it's just like, oh, they, they captured it so well. And they did such a smart job of using the talent in such a such a great way. I mean. I was so excited when this movie came out because I was like, not only is this age appropriate, but this guy can do flips. He can do all sorts of stuff. He really feels like Spider-Man. It, mm-hmm. it, it really just kind of really all clicked in there like a Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man where you're like, oh, my gosh, this fits perfectly. Now, speaking of age appropriate, do you feel like the vulture was too young? Because in the comics, he's literally like a bone <laughs> scarecrow. I mean, same thing you could say about M.A., you know? I mean, there was a lot of, you know, but they Young they did it, it for the actor, and I think it really paid off, so. Yeah, I think it uh, put a lot of, it just gave the, if you're, you know, I think the thing we all, in the industry, and if you like Spider-Man, it was like, well, how many times do we have to reboot this? You know, and by the time they were floating that they were going to be rebooting um, Spider-Man again in the MCU, you know, it's no one wanted to see an origin story again. And yep. we'd already, like you said in the beginning, uh, seen two really good actors um, with two very different, you know, angles of Spider-Man. 
And that just making some major changes, you know, scaling down those ages, making Aunt May um, not the the kindly old woman with the bun, you know, just added a whole new energy to how Peter interacted at home. Um, And then uh, the other thing I was going to say as well is what they really did so well is if you just juxtapose Avengers and New York as a backdrop and how big of scale, you know, with the Chitauri coming and what New York looked like as a backdrop, it just, you know, felt behemoth. But then you come to this movie and they made it feel like a neighborhood, you know, that your friendly yeah. neighborhood Spider-Man. The thing, the economy of scale with this movie was so well done because you worry about a bodega, you know, you're worrying about, you know, uh, down the street where the school is in relation to where he lives. You you have a very small map that you can see and we know how big they played new york already and then for them to be able to make it feel as intimate as it does and make it feel like this is a teen's world um uh, was really um really successful Uh, that's so true and another thing i thought they did well that um is a departure from and broke the sort of here's the origin formula is they changed up the mj gwen relationship Mm -hmm. at the core of the story like it it was uh, his relationship with liz it worked so well in the movie because of all the the tunes and the vulture of it all but it's like it didn't have the stakes that all the other movies were like he has to work it out that's his true love and like yes. and this to get away from that where it was like oh we don't have to sweat this as much as an emotional core of the story MJ and then there's still Zendaya. his true love bro I don't know what you're trying to say right <laughs> now I don't know they, let's not remember they officially do not know each other in the current continuity and I'm sorry Pete that's the way it's gonna be uh, <laughs> oh I'm talking about MJ in this movie man I that's what I'm saying we reveal later that, that she is MJ she's not even Mary Jane she's to um, Michelle. Yeah. It's MJ. Michelle Jones, yeah. Michelle yeah. Jones. Uh, so that like means, that turn, that means another maybe, turn. I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe Mary Jane is out there somewhere, his true love, right, Pete? No, that's not And he can I'm finally saying. ditch Michelle Jones Zendaya, now that she doesn't remember him. Uh, <laughs> MJ and, <laughs> and him are just absolutely but magic he, together. he can't be with MJ, and then he meets this other woman who's named Mary Jane, and he's like, oh, finally. This is better. There it is. This is better. MJ. Like. He's better. MJ are just letters, man. They can mean anything. I did want to talk about, Atari, you mentioned the origin story thing and skipping that. One of the GDC things I think they do in the movie, and this is something that we laud all the time about the MCU, is they got some deep continuity going on here, right? Like the opening scene is after the Battle of New York, so you had to have seen Avengers. You have to understand inherently what Tony Stark's role in this thing is. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of know what damage control is, maybe for the comics, maybe not, or at least understand what's going on there. So there's a lot of different stuff there, and then you're immediately going into Spider-Man with no getting bitten by a spider or anything like that. But what they do so smartly is they weave all of that in the narrative. So if on the off chance you haven't seen Avengers, you haven't seen Captain America's Civil War, you've got that video at the beginning there where mm-hmm. Peter walks us through everything from his perspective. So you instantly know who he is. You instantly know what his place in the world of the MCU is. You understand where he got his suit. You understand what his powers are because you get to see them in action. And then later on, he checks in with Ned, and Ned has that very funny montage after he finds out he's Spider-Man, where he's just asking him all these questions. About oh, my God. So funny. Like so great. Can you command an uh, army of ants, like summon an army of ants? Just no spiders. Ned. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. the yeah, yeah. he's Spider-Man, spiders. not Ant-Man. Yeah. It's yeah, so my, They're both bugs. Ant-Man. Guys. This is Ant-Man Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. Ant-Man <laughs> Homecoming, right? Paul Quantum Rudd. Homecoming? Uh, <laughs> my brain's broken. Uh, it's all the same thing. But uh, my point being that they figure out a way to make it fun to watch in the movie whether you know what's going on or not. So it is this thing of like, you know, we could not to get too far afield, but there were certain things in phase four where you're watching phase four and you're like, you had to watch the previous 23 movies or you're going to be lost because they're past that Rubicon now, but they're still in a place here where they're like recording MCU people who have seen everything that's come before, but also we want people who have never seen a Spider-Man movie before to come in. And they've managed to do that without having the bitten by a spider, Uncle Ben, great power comes from great responsibility, et cetera, which is great. 
Yeah, they scale it to the yeah. um, like a teen's voice. You know, I think that's the great thing is that they kind of get a lot of rules um, out through Ned just being an enthusiastic stan about, about him. You know, just yeah. like you said, he's just firing off questions and, you know, the guy in the chair kind of, you know, uh, assumption of a role for him. Um, and you learn everything you need to learn because Ned's us asking yeah. all the same questions. And that's really smart writing. Uh, non-repetitive writing and it's also taking advantage of like hey if we're going to change spider-man we've aged him down to being a high school kid like wh what does that sound like you know it's if he's going to be at oscorp labs as 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 the other peter parkers in the other movies and it's more adult and you're in a corporate setting or you're this or that you know that's got its own tone and you really can see that they decided to age him down. And then they also said, well, what's authentic? What is it going to sound like to have teenagers talking about him being like that, the enthusiasm, the fire, the rapid fire of the questions and the, uh, the uncertainty, you know, they're, they're, I kind of, you know, as much as Toby played Peter um, kind of awkward and nerdy, there was still kind of a, um, uh, I don't know, an a certainty, you know, to a certain degree, uh, uh, the way that he played Peter. And I love that um, Tom has just kind of played him like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And when he does figure out what he's doing, he's surprised as much as anybody. Yes, else. Uh, that's such and a good point. That. And that's like that, if you're going to make a choice, if you're going to, you know, really change the age dynamics, you're really going to lean into something that feels different than what you've done in two different um, um, franchises with it. They did it the best way that they could to like really lean into that choice and say, well, if that's what it looks like, here's, you know, what we're really going to put the time and the work in to make that feel like we're watching something different. And it's like to, to compare it to John Hughes. I haven't watched a John Hughes movie in a while, but I imagine the pace is so wildly sped up here. Like they use the 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 style and the some tone from John Hughes, but they mm -hmm. just like pace it up for this generation. So it's they, like bip, 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 bip. definitely. Yeah, they had uh, the actors had to watch a bunch of John Hughes movies as uh, mm -hmm. research for this. So. Uh, but on like three times speed, like how Alex watches stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sociopath. Gotta, gotta get through it. Gotta get through it. Too much um, to watch. I, I'm gonna die soon. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? <laughs> what, what, what movies are you watching now? Are you watching other podcasts? Are you listening I'm actually, to other podcasts? I'm watching, uh, Tara wrote about like head. 30 different books. So I have all 30 <laughs> of those different <laughs> franchises. Oh, wow. Now, just like I'm like on a Matrix style TV wall. Just put them in your yes. ear while you sleep. Yes, It'll exactly. all come in now. It'll, just, really just, be, it'll in. just be in there. <laughs> oh, Alex, your ears are both bleeding. Just so you know. uh, <laughs> That's great. That, I did want to talk. Yeah, it's horrifying. Um, you're very calm. Uh, Tony Stark, I feel like, I mean, he's a huge presence in this movie and sure has become uh, the Uncle Ben, sort of. Even though he's mm -hmm. alive in this movie, he's like, he's the guy that Spider-Man's like, ah, I got to do right by Tony. I'm always trying to impress Tony. And when he shows up, he doesn't have a lot of Uncle Ben's quiet uh, hand on the shoulder moves. Um, but I, I think that actually works better. It's almost an um, an upgrade for this version of it to not have Uncle Ben just wander in, be very earnest and then die. Yeah. Well, well just to throw it out there, uh, this uh, is something that is definitely a controversial part of the movie of the new Spider-Man franchise in general, where, a lot of folks, I think, get very upset that it isn't Spider-Man who is making his suit. It isn't Peter who is doing things on his own. He is being guided by this mentor. And there was a certain amount of frustration, I remember, online at the time about, oh, this is just Iron Man 4 or 5 or whatever, instead of necessarily Spider-Man 1. Justin, you're laughing. You think that's Well, right. I just like the people who are like, my Spider-Man? So's. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah? Your Spider-Man knows how to make a spandex suit that is, like, uh, not even painted on. It's just, like, Hold imprinted in the... You can't uh, go from drawing it once to suddenly it's there on your body after a montage? I don't know, man. The, there's a reason Dude, it's a montage, montage in the movie. these clothes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I believe that. But I do think it's just very funny like, how beholden we are to something that a couple random people in you know the early part of the 20th century made up one day. And we're like, it has to be that. It's like, let these people who are around now make it up a little bit. 
was it, it's better to let it be a little bit make more sense to follow the nonsensical rules that this kid is a genius scientist happened to get bit by a spider great at sewing and can make a <laughs> contraption that spits a chemical fluid into the air that he swings on I can take one of those away from this kid <laughs> yeah. well one thing that I'll throw out there that I, I picked up on during this rewatch, because I'll say it, I know this is controversial and Pete's going to get very mad at me. I am not the biggest Tony Stark Iron Man fan. So even though I wasn't necessarily on the level that we were just talking about, when I first saw Homecoming, I was like, just give me a Spider-Man movie. I don't need to watch more Iron Man at this point. We've gotten a wow. lot of Iron Man. Sorry, that's where I was coming from. All right, all right, well, you can't just punch me in the face and then move on. Like, <laughs> let me fucking punch you be back. able to rebut that. Well, punch on, back I'm going to rebut it myself. That's right, the please. point of me bringing it up is okay. that watching it this time to the point that we're talking about, I was really struck by the essential idea of the movie is that Tony Stark is providing him all this stuff, but ultimately it's up to Peter to do it himself and figure out how to be Spider-Man himself. So the purpose of Tony Stark in the movie is not to be like, I'm giving you a high-tech suit. I'm training you to be Spider-Man. You're going to be the ultimate Spider-Man now. It's in fact... Tony Stark is this external factor who's feeding them that stuff and is trying to coach him, but that's not actually what Peter needs. He does need to figure out about himself and does need to train it himself and become self-actualized. And that's great. So mm. that that's exactly what I think people wanted out of it, but maybe didn't pick up on it because they were so focused on what Tony was providing. Pete, you can yell at do, me now. Do you think now maybe what's changed from the first time you saw it and maybe were angry to the second time is maybe your life uh, is a little bit better? Like maybe you're not <laughs> as stressed out. Maybe there's some wow. nicer things going on in your life where Definitely you could not. just watch the movie without <laughs> bringing your own kind of stuff to it. You know what I mean? You know, ever since you guys Linked your Fitbits. You guys are very intimate when it comes to commenting on e- each other's. Uh, By the way, Pete, did you, finish, you finished that elliptical, right? So you closed your third ring today. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, this is I true. Think- By the way, Tara, this is a true thing. This is very real, it. not a joke. Um, yeah, I love it's it. very cute. This will be great for the the book that you'll write about us. About Fitbits. Right? Yeah, exactly. Check out Fitbits. I wrote a book. Um, I think it's one of those things where. Um, we get the reason that makes me so angry is because (laughs) the Tony Stark uh, Spider-Man relationship is new and exciting, but also, you know, we get this, you know, not a hug moment, which is funny, but then later when, you know, Tony, uh, uh, you know, where Spider-Man dies and then comes back and they hug and Tony goes in for the hug. It's such a paid off, amazing moment. Yeah, so for you to be like, man, 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 I want Spider-Man to get Tony Stark out of my movie, Glavin. I'm, just, just such a, I'm saying on this rewatch podcast where we rewatch the movies and reassess them, I appreciated it more this time versus the joke that's been running in my head for all three of these Spider-Man movies is, oh, which interestingly bearded MCU character is going to mentor him next time? <laughs> wow. Well, but this has made me feel better about it watching this time. Tara, let's go to you. What do you think about yeah. Iron Man's inclusion to this movie? You know, I well, one, you know, I don't, I, I haven't, I mean this honestly before I was doing any of the book stuff. I mean, I'm an MCU fan. I mean, I, I was in Hall H when they showed the footage the very first footage in the Paramount panel for, for Iron Man. So like I've been covering these movies from the very beginning and um, I've always thought, you know, in any iteration that I was watching with, uh, you know, X-Men and and anything else they were doing, I just want the best movie and I just want the best. um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a purist as in like, like you guys were saying before, like that's not my Spider-Man. No, I'm like, if you're going to make me watch a third reboot of Spider-Man, Please make it worth my while. I don't care how yeah. you get there. Just make it worth my while. And um, I think that the the one of the most delightful surprises outside of it being feeling like a very different Peter Parker and a very different Spider-Man iteration was being able to lose the gravitas of the, you know, uh, Uncle Ben and giving the... <laughs> the the attitude of Tony Stark as the mentor um, and it just, you know, busting his ass in every, there is no easy 
inter- encounter with Tony and and uh, and and Peter. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. He he walks away being frustrated and all of the things that he thought he was going to get after Civil War in this relationship with Tony is absolutely not happening. He's every time. And I think the, from a filmmaker standpoint and then how that actually plays in the movie, which is, you know, Robert is a huge fan. Of, I mean, a huge, huge hit at this point. You know, he's he is a superstar, uh, you know, playing Tony. And so he's not in this movie a lot. He is very judiciously sliced into the movie in very small increments. He's such a huge personality. It feels like he's in it more, but I, I think anybody going back and doing a rewatch is like, man, Robert's barely in this thing. It's just very pointed, important moments that they you can really lean on. And uh, I think, you know, that it's built, their rapport is so good on, on camera, you know, when they're in yeah. the car yeah. together. When they're having, you know, he's he's just desperately trying to to get Tony to to embrace him like he wants to be embraced, uh, and then he's left to flounder with Happy most of the time. I mean, there's more John Johnny Favreau in this movie, yeah. <laughs> and then there is of, of Robert. Oh if you really go in and look at it that way, um, and Johnny the Fats. real estate is just so well well positioned that he doesn't overtake the movie. It would be really easy to go, is this a Spider-Man movie? And someone else's hand going, it's no, it's Robert. And then like, you know, Peter Parker's in there and Spider-Man's kind of in there. Instead, it's the opposite. It's very judicious. It really builds that relationship. Exactly like you said, it's from Civil War to this movie to being able to earn some of the stuff that happens in an Infinity War and then an Endgame. Like, some of the biggest sobbing moments from dork me watching those movies was Peter Parker and Tony Stark. So yeah, like, yeah. I will never lament that they went off course and it's not the, the comic book dynamic or the uncle Ben dynamic. And it's to me, that relationship earned some of my most favored moments in the entire MCU. So like, I, I am super happy that they decided to do this kind of remix this. They saw the rapport between Robert and 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 Tom and it's so good that they just went okay here's how we're gonna move our Spider-Man forward and I and I really appreciate that. Did and you I think hear that, Zelbs? Wait, wait, wait. Did you feel that, Zelbs? <laughs> Did you feel that though? Wow, that really convinced me of the thing that I was already convinced about. You're right, Pete. Okay. Uh, what a touching moment between you two, our Tony Stark and um, Peter Parker. Don't specify uh, which is which. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I would never. I would never. Uh, we have two two tombs, really, to be honest. Uh, the uh, the another thing, just about Tony Stark. Um, I guess two other things. Like he he selfishly brought Spider Man into Civil War. Yeah. I so did. I think there's. It's not at all altruistically mentoring mm-hmm. him here. He he's like sort of set this ship a sail, and so he needs to fix. This. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, he's like he's the reverse of Spider-Man, of of the Tom Holland Spider-Man, where he has a million plans. He just doesn't have the time to service them all. While Tom Holland's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he keeps messing up. So Tony has to keep showing up and being like, do this, this, this. And Tom Holland's like, I don't know what any of that was. I'm so sorry. And he's like, I'm so sorry I wasn't here to do like, it. So they, they rhyme with each other in such a good way, which I think leads us to those emotional moments. Yeah, I think, you know, just to talk a little bit about what Tara was saying, like the whole Tony not there was part of the bit, you know, where, you know, Spider-Man didn't even think Tony was in the suit and he actually is, you know. So it is these kind of like uh, uh, moments like that. But, yeah, Justin, I completely agree with what you're saying. You know, at the end, when Tony's got his big thing of like, hey, you're on the team, he's really walking with them doing damage control, being like, listen, it wasn't really my fault. It's kind of your fault, right? Yeah, hey, listen, I'm going to do something Nice for you. We got to play and uh, be nice to each other in front of these reporters about to maybe rip us to shreds. So, like, uh, it's very interesting, the dynamic and all the different kind of levels to their relationship and their kind of different personalities that kind of do fit together nicely. And uh, that while that you bring up that press conference moment, and that reminds me of some of the scenes in movies that drive me crazy because I'm like, oh, just go, dude. Maybe this is better for you to do this. It's like the end of Dumb and Dumber when they're like they're about to get on the bus and then they don't, and then, and that movie is just endlessly like the story. You you want the characters to do what 
it seems like it's best for them. And this is another example of that. Just another great rug pull that this movie does. Well, and I'll also throw out about that moment, which is still wild to me years later, where it turns out this press conference where they're going to announce the Spider-Man as part of the Avengers. Peter thinks it's kind of a test. Tony's like, yep, totally a test, which is a great bit. And then it's not actually a test. They were actually going to have the press conference. And Pepper comes out. And they're like, oh, what else can we announce? And Tony says, oh, hey, do you still have that thing? And Johnny Favs says, oh, yeah, I've been carried around since 2008, gives him a ring. It still blows my mind that the emotional payoff of three Iron Man movies where Tony finally asked Pepper to marry him happens just like in a casual throwaway scene yes. towards the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. But it's very Tony Stark. It's, it's Tony perfect. Stark in the primo way. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But it's also Johnny Favs. He's kept the ring since 2008. You know? He's pushing about just push your happy it, Get out agenda, whatever yeah. you have to say about happy now. Well, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of parallels between the Tony Stark movie and this. You know, uh, this was <laughs> kind of like... Stark he, movie. Yeah, the Iron Man movie. Yeah, you're uh, right. He is in both of them. Yeah. Shut up and let me parallel. get there. Let me get there. All right. So, That's like, a, quite a parallel. <laughs> this Iron Man movie was a big gamble. What's going to happen? You know what I mean? We have Johnny Favs, who's a big fan of improv and kind of like having some mm. fun. Then we have Homecoming, which is also like, oh gosh, here we go again. But we do have this kind of injection of not only. Uh, a youth, but a ton of humor. You know, MJ gets to be hysterical. She has like these little pop-up lines. It's like, am I really here? Like just some hilarious, hilarious moments. Like all the really small moments in this movie are unbelievable. Ned seeing Spider-Man for the first time, you know, dropping the Death Star is such a perfect, hilarious (laughs) moment. You know, there is just all these great comedy bits. It even starts with, uh, you know, Spider-Man showing his kind of what happened in Civil War, you know, like his camera style and all that. It just really sets up this levity, this tone, this youth that really and you're saying Happy changed. Hogan was responsible for well, those? I'm saying he was a part of both. He was, <laughs> He's part, a, was a part bigger part in the Iron Man that started this that wouldn't be possible without that. So it's nice to see him here also yeah. helping what's uh happening happening happy happy ending happy 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 you can't help but say it he created comedy as you're saying so thank you shouts to that yeah um the originator of humor i do think pete somewhere in there does have a a correct uh, assertion though in terms of you bring on john watts who's a director who's mostly known for comedy stuff to do this and we talk about this incessantly i feel like we break down mcu stuff into it gets knocked for the so that just happens type humor versus actual jokes. This is a movie that has actual jokes. Like it's an yeah. actual comedy. There's Agreed. actually funny stuff that's happening throughout. Um, like uh, you mentioned MJ, the Zendaya moment where they're at the Washington Monument and she says, I'm not going up there. That was built by slaves. <laughs> slaves and yeah. uh, Martin <laughs> Starr's teacher, I think, is like, yes, no, it wasn't built by and turns back and looks at the guy and the guards like mm-hmm. security guards. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> OK, enjoy your book. Yeah. Yeah. Just Stuff like that is actual jokes and it's actually structured and paced like jokes. And I think that plays into the Spider-Man nature as well because he's a funny character. So it should come out of that. And the background stuff with the high school stuff, you know, with the, you know, just them in class or the, uh, you know, the, the, the gym teacher and, you know, watching the, the, uh, the, the Captain America, the PSA, PSA, the Captain America yeah. PSA, oh my God, it's you know, and and just the tone of of uh, of them, you know, with the the uncoolness of that, and then also the the kind of real pushback that I think you expect from like a New York teacher, you know, like the just the attitude about how they're dealing, um, and you know, and he is then in this kind of like egghead. Um, special you know uh the mathletes kind of ecosystem and so you do have the martin star character who uh, you know can kind of push back with his own kind of acerbic uh humor too and then there's also the group you know i mean there's the, the kids that are that are that just populate and then go from movie to movie and you watch them actually grow up like there's an appreciation for that that's sewn in this movie and you want you're actually really happy to see them again because they all get little moments yeah. they they get to have to to have whether it's you know when they're you know preparing for the 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 the, the dc um event or whether it's you know uh, just going after each other 
um, at the party or things like that, all of that starts to build an ecosystem around him that feels, again, that keeps that intimacy that I talked about before that makes New York feel small. It makes it feel like a small neighborhood and that it's creating an ensemble that you're really excited when you see them back in, in further installments. And then it's so tragic at the end when they um, will never speak again. Uh, I just want to say one other thing about the... High school is crushing. Oh, high school. The rhythms of comedy actually get into the action as well. And the reveal we talked about with uh, Michael Keaton at the front door as the dad, that's a literal punchline. Yeah. It's not a joke. It's the joke construction, but it's not, uh, but it's still a punchline, I think. Yeah, a couple of the characters uh, that we were you were mentioning just before Tara, but Tony Revolari as mm-hmm. Flash Thompson, he's oh a very different God. Flash in here than really we're used to. He is uh, a rich jerk bully instead of a physical threat to Peter Parker, but he's so great and he's so yep. funny yep. in this. What about dating the trope again? Yeah. yeah, one of my absolute favorite lines of the movie, which is like a ludicrous Easter egg that I can't believe they put in there. But he's driving his car right before Spider-Man takes it over and he, he has the whole driving thing with Ned doing the man in the chair. But he's talking to the girl in there about he's like, oh, I think the Branzino was overcooked, which is a reference <laughs> to the ludicrous Branzino thing that they did at Amazing Spider-Man. So just having that like throwaway <laughs> things there that. Maybe we're in the script, maybe improvised. I don't know, but they're just having fun and throwing those things out there. Also, uh, I'm surprised you did bring this up, Pete, but Zach Cherry, who is great and on Severance now and has become like – just had his star rise because of that. Oh, he, yeah. To do a flip Spider-Man, like, hysterical. Yeah. I mean, that dude's amazing. And he is, I believe, in the same scene with uh, this dude named Kirk Thatcher, who's playing a punk, and he's dressed the same yeah. way that he was from Star Trek Four, where he played a punk. Where he and played then, the like, punk, yes. Yeah, so just ridiculous uh, Do we want to get into like, all the Easter egg stuff? I mean... Oh, Pete did his research again for this one? All right, Uh-oh. take it away, Pete. Ooh. All right. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, the Zendaya's books are fun nods, you know, uh, of human bondage is about someone who lives with their aunt, you know, uh, the other <laughs> yeah, book that she has is uh, had <laughs> it's about a man who's in prison, uh, whose only friend is a spider. You know, I mean, these are just really, really fun uh, stuff. Uh, Tony has Jarvis voiced by Paul Bentley. Uh, Peter Parker has Karen voiced by Jennifer Connelly. I mean, come on. That's just, I mean, that's love on love on love. That's synergy. That's synergy. synergy. They're they're married. They're together. That's the main thing that you're mentioning. Right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's cool. Okay. So, so just to yeah. mention the operative part that they're together yeah. in case people don't. You're giving a general area of Easter eggs, and then we <laughs> have to f- then also find them. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're giving us Easter. You're giving us Easter, and we have to Easter. find the eggs. Yeah, it's yeah. an Easter egg hunt you're planning yeah, yeah. for. Us. Well, one it's thing beautiful. we can talk about that's a little bit more than an Easter egg is Donald Glover's uh, yeah. inclusion oh, yeah. here. He is playing Aaron Davis, I believe yeah. is the yeah. name of the character, mm-hmm. who's known as the Prowler in the comic books. The big thing people don't know, which is very cool about this, and I think most people listening to this podcast probably will know, but he not only had a big fan campaign, I feel like one of the first real fan campaigns yes. of the modern yes. internet to play Spider-Man, which obviously yep. didn't yep. pan out, but if I remember correctly, it inspired Miles Morales. Like He's not directly yeah. Miles Morales, but it was strong enough that Brian Michael Bendis, who co-created Miles Morales, was like, you know, we got to do somebody that looks a little different than Peter Parker and feels a little different than Peter Parker. So he is at least in part inspired by that. So you get him in the movie playing this character who is not exactly the Prowler, but he talks about his nephew who could be Miles Morales. They obviously haven't paid that off in the movies yet. Uh, but that's a really fun, nice tribute uh, to yeah. have him in there. And it's it's appreciated. Thank you, Marvel. My hat's off to you. Wow. <laughs> Uh, any that. other moments from the movie? Tara, I'm curious. I don't know if you remember offhand, but since you did cover it so heavily in the book, is there something that people might not have noticed in the movie or that you thought was particularly interesting when you were fleshing out that part of the book? Um, well, we go really deeply in with the editor about the sequence in the car, you know, when, you know, he is seen him in the house and then they're stuck, you know, in that, in that, in that they know who each other is and mm. and and she's sitting there clueless i'm just going to the dance and it's this incredible back and forth and um 
we the book covers uh, in detail, and it was fascinating to listen um, to Dan talk about the timing of that, uh, uh, how that was shaved down, the storytelling in it. Um, you know, when you pair, as you guys alluded to earlier, the caliber of actor of Michael Keaton in the MCU, and you, you know, you everyone knows what he can do, and. Thomas still kind of knew, you know, to us at that point, we're, you know, heading into the third act of the movie. So we've seen, you know, from civil war into the first two acts of this movie, exactly what Tom's capable of. And you go, man, watching them, uh, have that sweat moment, you know, of, of him just sitting in the backseat of that car, um, and being grilled and what's being said and what's not being said and the cuts that they make. Um, it's uh, one of my favorites, especially, uh, you know, if anybody has the book, it's really explained in a really wonderful way uh, about the, the gift of that and being able to play that kind of tension in a movie like this, where guys, you, you also said there's so much great comedy that you can shift gears as successfully as this movie does. And especially from that moment forward and the stakes you know, that you haven't undercut the stakes by, you know, by being too funny or too glib or the, you know, you actually uh, really feel like you're in that car and in the little confined space of, of those paths of, of how they're, you know, oriented, how he, he can look over his shoulder and see Peter, but his daughter isn't looking at the eye line between the two of them. It's just some really brilliant filmmaking and watching two actors who on paper you'd go like well, Michael Keaton's gonna like act the shit around you know <laughs> of, of Tom in this scene like he's just gonna dance circles and instead they're so good together much like how much you enjoy watching Tom go against Robert who technically could over overwhelm Peter and his and Tom's performance so easily just considering you know the caliber and the and the resumes that that, that come with Robert and that come with Michael and yet I, I walk out of it feeling from those scenes, feeling even having more respect that they're like, boy, oh boy, did they get the right guy? Like, you know, all of the, of the auditions that they did around the world and the, you know, on tape um, that they got from all of these really great actors. And, you know, even the actors that were really close, you know, you'd go, oh, wow, they'd be really great. You know, that, that those would be really great alternate choices, but the kind of, magic of getting Tom and then putting him through his paces in this movie and feeling like afterwards, Oh man, this is his first movie. This is him. You know, Peter Parker's technically Spider-Man's movie and you just feel energized by how good he is and how much he steps up to the plate with some amazing scene partners. And you just go like, give me more. I like, yes, knocked it out of the park. Yay. Good for you guys. And, uh, and how excited I felt at the end of the movie which I don't always feel sometimes with, yeah, you know, superhero great. movies at the end where you're like, all right, we know another one of those is coming and, <laughs> you know, I'll go see it. But this one actually made me really excited to have him in the MCU and to see him, what what was going to be the next adventure with them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, there's so many great moments and, and they pull off so much, but also like landing it and having such a not only energetic ending, but such a cool ending with, you know, I mean, being like, what the fuck? And then immediately, you know, music, you know, the end credits, like just such a great kind of like puts you in such a great hype mood for, for not only more, but uh, just everything that you just saw. It's uh, such a smart play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other moments from the movie, little bits or anything, anybody wanted to call out Pete? I feel like, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, you know, mentioned it, but just want to kind of re-mention Marissa Tomei, just unbelievable. Yeah, there are so, so many times where they had just kind of like a little shorthand where it really felt like a mother or a son type of a situation where they really were on the same page a lot of the times and they had kind of a great, it really felt the part, you know, uh, I know it's an aunt, but you know, the mother, uh, you know, the, oh, anyways, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but also the Staten Island aunt fairy. Man. Got it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Staten Island ferry scene, just so amazing. The Great elevator fairy. scene, like, just 
the tension, but also the humor. And like when Iron Man's actually there, it just feels so good. And, uh, you know, and then when he's kind of does it all on his own uh, in the elevator scene in D.C., just so, so, so amazing. Um, uh, one of those things where if I'm if it's ever on TV, I'm like, well, I'll just watch to this part, you know, and you just oh, man, you, you end up watching the whole thing. Um and then I uh, just wanted to, just a funny scene where uh, MJ is in detention. She doesn't have detention. And she says she likes to sketch people in crisis. And then she's like, ah, this is you. <laughs> just, ah, oh, just, ah, oh, fantastic. I love Zendaya's performance. She adds such He's a, um, just, just dry as a bone. Yeah. <laughs> the comedic sensibility yeah. to it. And you don't get that as, as much, you know, you get these big personalities and she just like, and she just, um, has the mm, sweet, sweet, sweet comedic timing of in those scenes, you know, of course it's editing and stuff, but her performance just actually is just, it works really great in juxtaposition. Um, it's like, cause we all went to school with someone like that. And hopefully it was like, you know, those were usually the people that I liked the most. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, so to have her be represented and, you know, the twist of it um, being, you know, revealed of who she actually is in terms of the lore, she just works as a character. And then you go, ah, like what a way to like re recontextualize that character and then not knowing you were watching that the whole way through and then, then have that as a payoff was so great. Yeah. Justin, anything you wanted to call out before we move no. on? No, great. Uh, great stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we move on to our vision board then where we take a look forward in the MCU. Obviously there's a couple of other Spider-Man movies after this infinity war and Endgame, like we mentioned before, but the big question is, what is next for Spider-Man in the MCU? There's been a bunch of different reports. There's nothing specific. I believe we've heard that from Tom Holland, who tends to leak everything, that he signed up for three <laughs> more movies, that we don't know when those are coming or how. They certainly haven't been announced as part of the MCU. There's also the animated cartoon Spider-Man Freshman Year, which is going to be set in the MCU, kind of, though it seems like there's going to be some tweaks and changes but that seems very fun. Uh, but what do you think? Where would you want to see Spider-Man show up next and how? Uh, Tara, I'll, I'll go to you first. What's your dream scenario for Spider-Man in the MCU? Yeah, you know, it's um, I it, uh, maybe this is controversial, too, because, you know, uh, obviously uh, I really liked the where they left um no way home and there's a there's a darkness to it that i just thought um was really interesting with you um and i i think i like when they decide to do something really out of the ordinary i feel like that's when um i'm more most excited about what their choices are and um you know, I mean, I guess there's something to be said about, uh, you know, reuniting uh, in any kind of mixture, the three of them again. I enjoyed that so much, getting to see them working together and how much emotion they pulled out of that um, from all three and, and being able to, like, not just have it be a stunt, but actually lean on the things that if you are a longtime fan, um, how they all informed one another and, and made some real emotional moments. Um, but, yeah, I... I kind of, um, I'm, I'm of a, of a place where I don't want him to go away, but I also kind of feel like maybe judicious uses of him going on now would be okay with me. You know, that I, I don't, uh, I don't feel like I would need another trilogy per se. Um, but you know, if you picked and, uh, and, and figured out the best times to use him, that's kind of how I'd like to see him being used until they figure out um, how to either coalesce into the next version of what their Avengers is going to be or how they're going to play out, you know, some of the other um, consolidation moments. You know, obviously we didn't get a lot of that in phase four and um, in phase, yeah, phase four and in phase five, they're moving towards that again. Um, but I kind of feel like he could be the new Tony for me and that you pick and choose yes. when he comes in and you don't have to, have tons of long single movie installments with him that I feel like he has earned his place as this like kind of pinnacle, uh, well, well used character with a very interesting story now that kind of comes full circle with the uh, bittersweetness that you would usually get with the, you know, uncle Ben kind of moments that the other movies did, uh, how they end it, uh, you know, has this 
this gravitas now to the character after he's gone through all this learning. So I think for me, it's like if they decide they, that he hasn't been picked up for a new trilogy, but that Tom has decided just like uh, Robert did to um, pick and choose who he's going to like, maybe come into someone else's movie with or do assist or end up being a support character in another character's movie. I would totally be fine with that. Yeah. I was going to say sort of something similar that um, I think Spider-Man can be the, um, the Tony Stark, um, as you're saying, but also like sort of the fixer. And as these phases get so convoluted, uh, Spider-Man can come in and just sort of be like, hey, here's the stuff that we should let's go do this. So it doesn't have to get sort of spin out of control, which I it feels like this phase specifically is is happening a little bit. Pete, what about you? I'm sure you have a conflicting take here, right? (laughs) Well, I just feel that like, you know, I was a little disappointed in Spider-Man at the end of the last movie. So I wanted Hmm. to pick up right where it left off and him come to his senses and turn right the F back around and walk back into that donut shop because (laughs) that's the love of his life. And what the F are you doing walking away and leaving her? So Uh, so you're talking about a donut and referring to her as her, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's a female donut, I think is what he he left there and he has to go back to (laughs) Uh, my, my main thing, and I, I think I'm along the lines of uh, Justin, you, and Tara here, is you mainly don't have to name everybody but me. You could just you know. <laughs> you could say not Pete. Yeah, well, I do. Just... I do want to see them follow up with that uh, that way, and I would be excited to watch that if they do it. Uh, the main thing that I want is I don't want them to Sony out about it. I feel like they were so careful Whoa. in terms of what Disney and Marvel did in conjunction with Sony on these Spider-Man movies, and there's always this temptation from Sony to go too big too fast so what I don't want them to do is being like we're going to do a trilogy of films with three scripts and it's going to launch Sinister Six and all of these other and the stuff that Sony has done for decades at this point or even going into like and now he's back in the Sony connected Spider-Man universe of Marvel films or whatever they're calling at this point and he's going to fight all Morbius and Craven the Hunter and Venom. That's not what I want. That's the exact opposite of what I want. Instead, I want them to sit down and be like, what is the story following up on No Way Home? What is the story that we have to tell about Peter Parker? Let's do one of those. And we know we have a contract for two more. We'll figure those out later. Because I think what John Watts and company have done really well with this first trilogy is leaving it all on the table each time, ending like Pete talked about a couple of times with this moment of Aunt May being like, what the fuck? And finding out and not being like, and that's how that's going to lead into the second movie. But instead, okay, now we're doing it a second movie. How does that pan out? And then you have that mm-hmm. ending with J. Joe and Jameson and Mysterio at the end of the second movie. How does that pan out? We're going to figure that out. So that's what you got to do. Just leave it on the table each time. That's what I want to see with the new trilogy. But most importantly, I want to find out what's happening with Vulture now that he's hanging out with Morbius at the end of Morbius. Yeah. That's the big thing. Wow. Are they uh, friends? Are they enemies? Do they hang out together? Are they like going to see a movie together? What's going to happen? That's my big question there. Yeah, I have a question for you guys really quickly. Like, how do you feel about Tom? You know, uh, Tom said himself, he's he's like, well, listen, I'm I'm, I can't be like teen. uh, I'm growing up and he does have the you know, he has as an actor has a little bit of that Peter Pan lag and that he doesn't look his age. Uh, He's able to retain that youthful um, Mm. exuberance that feels like he could still be in that pocket and not be like, you know come on dude like you get a social security card you know, it's just like it feels like he still has a little bit of time there but um does it feel like i i, I guess my thoughts on it have been i could see him doing what i had expressed before which is the maybe coming in but i feel like a handoff would be a really cool thing i just don't like alex as you said i don't think sony wants to do that <laughs> and, yeah. and you really have the creative ugh, tension of two companies and one that's going what's the what's the right story and Sony going like, we need, we own this character. We'd like, let's just buckshot and see lots of things that we can do with it. And uh, that scares me. And I almost feel like I would much rather there be maybe Miles Morales coming into mm-hmm. the storyline yeah. or a handoff so that Tom uh, maybe has a couple installments in, in well thought out and precisely placed character insertions into existing stories as they're building uh, into the new phase 
but then maybe there's that baton pass, you know, and I would, I, you know, I, I can, I can love what Tom did and also know that there's a shelf life for what Tom did. Mm-hmm. Until he crosses the Toby Maguire line, which is like the Wilford Brimley cocoon line. <laughs> I think we're fine with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Tara, before we let you go, I know we plugged a couple of things at the beginning of the podcast, but what would you like to plug? What should people be checking out from you? Um, well, yeah, you know, the holiday season is, is amongst us. And so I, I will say that a lot of booksellers, especially Amazon, does have the story of Marvel Studios, which is 11 pounds of goodness for you. Two volumes, 500 pages uh, that um, is on sale for $85. It's a $150 book. So wow. I always do like nice. to tell people, I don't know, if you want to gift somebody and it is, you know, it does encompass all the way from Iron Man to Spider-Man, um, you know, um, Homecoming with, in, in No Way Home, which is the end technically of i'm not no way home um uh uh the um what's the second one where they go off to europe far um, from home far, far, far from, from home. thank you sir yes far from home it that's technically the end of that of of the uh of the phase three so you know it goes end game and then that movie everybody forgets that they think end game yeah. is, is the end end and it's like no 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 nope, it's the his, his second installment so uh, it co- covers all of that material and then yes if uh you happen to uh the one thing I will say, you know, Avatar gets all of the conversation about do people want it? Do they need it? Like, do anybody, does anybody care? And I will say that um, the work that the production designers um, and the costume designer, um, it's, uh, you know, Ben Proctor and Dylan Cole and um, uh, uh, Deborah Scott, who's a legend, you know, in costume design. Um, I spent the last year with them and they did nine years of work. <laughs> and so wow. my little book is just a taste of uh, the vast amount of work that they and their, and their team has done. But the visuals that they've put, been putting together for years, like uh, whether you love the, the sequel, whether you like Avatar or not, if you are an aficionado of concept art or of world building, holy holy crap and i mean that from the bottom of my heart is just a super film nerd it's it's some stunning work um and i'm so proud to be able to you know have even tell part of their story in that book so that is out the same day and date awesome. as avatar is out so um if, if you love art if you love cinematic world building hopefully that book um will tick a couple boxes for you awesome tara thank you so much for coming on thank yeah. you for talking about guys Spider-Man. you were thank wonderful you, it was so yeah. much so fun, fun. Yeah, any, oh, anytime nice. you need me back and nerding out about mcu stuff i would love to come back cool. <laughs> absolutely and for all of you out there if you'd like to support our podcast and all the podcasts we do patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every tuesday night at 7 p.m to crowdcast and youtube come hang out we love to chat with you about the mcu apple spotify stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe listen and follow the show at marvel vision pod on twitter instagram and facebook comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more until next time stay marvelous 